Okay, then we'll jump right in. We're going to have a, like a, it's kind of like Christmas Sunday. Um, we're going to refrain, and I'm sorry if you've been, you came expecting uh, the church, the letter of the church is Smyrna. Well, uh, that's a suffering church. It's not really appropriate for the season, but we'll take that up next week, and we'll continue on uh, studying the book of the Revelation. I would just say we've got two more studies, I think, in Numbers, and then we're going to augment our Revelation studies by uh, Wednesday night are going to be eschatology in the Old Testament. There's myriads, myriads, there's a ton of verses in the Old Testament about uh, the end times, the day of the Lord, uh, the the kingdom age, there's uh, plenty of uh, prophecy about these things, and uh, we're going to, like I say, augment, if we, and if we do that, like, you know, on Sunday mornings, it's going to be like two years going through uh, to get to the end of the revelation, so, like I say, we're going to, you, so it's going to be like, you know, eschatology year, most of the year anyway. I don't know how long it's going to take to get through it all, but uh, when we finish, we'll go on to the next thing. Uh, so that's our plan in the short term. Um, so next week, you know, regular Wednesday night service. This, this week coming up, I should say. And if I don't see you, Happy New Year. Okay. Um, okay, so we're going to talk about uh, the Christmas story after I pray. And it's a little non-traditional. No, uh, you know, shepherds, if you love that sort of thing, uh, not today. Uh, no magi, wise men, no angelic announcements. We're going to look at the birth of Christ as it's given to us in the uh, second chapter of the book of Philippians. You can turn there, Philippians chapter 2. I'll read and then we'll pray and then we'll unpack the word of God. Uh Philippians chapter 2, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, God's Electric Power Company, remember? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I always remember it that way. Silly, I know. Uh, Okay, Philippians, second chapter. I'm just talking, so (laughs) pages stop flipping. Uh, Okay, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant who was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath also, God uh, also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, Every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There you have it, the Christmas story. Let's unpack, let's pray first, okay? God, I is holy ground that we're treading on. On, and I realize that too. And am I equal to the task? Not at all. But Lord, your Holy Spirit is given to us to teach us things that, you know, I, I lean on that verse always, Lord, deep calleth unto deep. The Spirit can infuse in our understanding that and speak to the deep parts, the deep recesses of our heart where only you have access to. And I pray you'd use this opportunity to do just that. And teach us, Lord, what you would have us know. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Okay, uh, verse 5, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. I hate that verse in the King James. It's rubbish. They missed it. Swing and a miss. Good try, guys. You blew it. I, I don't know how else to say it. Let's look at a different version. I've got my blue letter Bible here, and I've got, how about the New American Standard? Um, oh, I went to Philippians 2 accidentally. Remain calm. Here we go. Um, who, although he existed, speaking of Jesus Christ, who, in verse 6, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Kind of the idea of clung on to. He's, he's God, he's, the, he's in the form of God, but he didn't think being equal with God is something to grab hold of. Um, King James, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. What does that even mean? Uh, I think the NIV even does a, one better than the New American Standard, who being in very nature God, see, in the form of God, what are we talking about here? Well, he's kind of like God? No, 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 no. He is God. And this is teaching his divinity. Many places in the New Testament teach the divinity of Jesus Christ, the Godhood of Jesus Christ, Okay. You don't know that if you're joining us online or something. We believe that Jesus Christ is very God. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. And this says that. In the NIV, they got it. Who being in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Now, they've gone one extra. It says that he didn't think it was something to be grasped, but they go kind of give us a reason why he didn't greedily hang on to that. He didn't think it was something to use for his own advantage. One has said, you know, you want to test somebody, give them privileges, and see how they use their privileges. You know, they make their own parking spot right out in front where they have easy access and everyone else has to park farther away. You know, or the character of a man, do you use your privileges for the benefit of others. Now, we know that Jesus Christ did exactly that. He showed us who God was. Um, he, he, he saw a catastrophe, and he dealt with it, and he became a very real blessing to all those around him. Can I give you like a million examples? We'll teach through the whole Gospels, all four of them. He didn't think that he came in the form of a servant. He didn't come to be ministered unto, the gospel of Mark tells us, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Do you need life? Oh, you need it eternally. Did he provide that? Yes, he did. You need life temporarily. He saw somebody who was dead. What did he do? He raised him from the dead. And by the way, so much so that resurrection is available to every man, woman, child, whoever lived. Most of them will have a resurrection that results in eternal damnation. But that's on you. That's not on him. But those of you who believe in him, your physical resurrection will result in benefit and greatness and wonder forever. At his right hand are joys evermore, Scripture tells us. No, he was a benefit. Uh, did lepers need cleansing? Yes. Did he provide it? Yes. Did, did lame people need to walk? Yes, they did. Did he provide that? Yes. And we can look at the life of Jesus Christ, and he's totally a benefit in every way, only always. Um, so it says he, he was in the very form of God, but he didn't greedily grasp that. Rather, he made himself of no reputation 
and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Let's look at those in opposite. He became a man. 1 John chapter 1. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Okay, we see that that word, he created all things. Without him, nothing was made that was made. And then that word person, Jesus Christ, the expression of God, the, what, what does God have to tell us about himself? What, what does he use? He uses his word, Jesus Christ, to tell us who he is. That word became flesh and dwelt among us. By the way, don't think, don't imagine Jesus Christ started at Bethlehem or even nine months earlier. He was the eternal God, the ancient of days, Scripture calls him. Okay, and he came to earth. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And what did that involve? What does it involve with you? He, he, he was born the way you were born. Not exactly the way you were born. You had a dad, a physical dad, and he, he didn't. He was born a virgin, miraculously placed in the womb of Mary. Um, that, that's unique. That's a one-off, okay? But everything after that, he was like us. The scripture says, and everything except sin. Now think that all the way through. Uh, because I think it's rather important. I, I grew up in a religion, and they told us that uh, he, when it was time for him to be delivered, he just kind of supernaturally was. He didn't go through the process of, you know, the birth canal with the crying and the misshapen head and the, you know, gasping for air, and he just kind of was. I thought, one, that's ridiculous. And on the face of it, I just, okay, who are you, God? You say this is the way that we ought to be born, but you're not born that way? Of course he was. But I think the theologists, they've got to keep Mary perpetually virgin and intact. So they have this, I think, heretical teaching. I, I, no apologies for thinking that. He was like us in everything except sin. Was he hungry? Yeah. You remember he cursed the fig tree that didn't provide him figs when he was hungry. Was he thirsty? From the cross, he said, I thirst. And I think that was more than just that. Some would say, oh, yeah, crucifixion, you know, you, you know, he had a blood loss, and he was, you know, his tongue clave to the roof of his mouth. We understand that in Psalm 22. Yeah, he's, yeah he, oh, he thirsted. But beyond that, I think it was a spiritual thirst. I think there was eternal separation from God, the fountain of living water. And he thirsted in the sense that he was separated from God. I can't prove that, but I believe it to be so. And I think that's what freaked him out. If I can say freaked out, Jesus Christ, you say, you're saying Jesus was freaked out? I say that reverently. The night before, when he was in the garden, I think the thing that really, as I say, freaked him out was the separation from God. He was hungry, he was thirsty. Was he tired? Once so much so that he fell asleep in a boat. In a storm, that's tired, okay? Uh, he, 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 was he, was, did he have grief? Yeah. Did he shed tears? Yeah. You know, there's that, uh, uh, that silly Christmas song I hate. Uh, my worship leader last week, he was saying, I think I'm going to play Away in a Manger. I think he said that to get a rise out of me. And, of course, when, you, when somebody does that, you, oh, yeah, that's, that's wonderful. Go ahead and do that, you know, because I don't, I don't swallow the bait. Uh, I, I hate that song. I hate it. I hate it. Why? It's theologically inept. For a lot of reasons. Here's one. Uh, the cattle lowing, the poor baby wakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Fiddlesticks. That's nonsense. All babies cry. 
I've had a couple of them. I mean, I didn't have them. I had them. You know what I mean, right? They all, they all cry. Why? That's God's way of putting in a, a, a little human being. That's how they correspond to their dad and say, okay, you're not useful anymore. Wake mom. That's why God made crying. Uh, if for no other reason. So uh, did Jesus cry as a little baby? Of course he did. Did he dirty his diapers? Yeah. Did he learn how to walk? Yeah. Can you get your mind around this, what I'm saying to you? The creator of the universe took those first little, I always call them Franken steps because they look like, you know, the Frankenstein monster. Just they kind of throw their arms out here and they're kind of trying to balance. And Imagine Mary. Got his little arms and, G- and Joseph's a couple feet away. Come on. Come on, Joshua. Yeshua, come on, come on. He's taking these little steps. Can you imagine that? The creator of legs, learning how to use them. <sighs> Was he angry? Oh, yeah. You want to be at cross purposes with him when he was. But he didn't sin. His anger is righteous. Is he still angry? At sin all the time for what it does to a person. He was in the form of God. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself in the likeness of man. And not only that, he made himself of no reputation at all. Was Jesus Christ of Nazareth some famous now? He came to obscure parents. He was born in an obscure village. And he grew up in an obscure town, in the Galilee of all places. I don't think we can overstate this. This is remarkable. So God came to earth and he lived in the palace at Rome because that was the head of the world at that time. No? He had a dad who was a stepdad, who was an artisan, an artificer of wood. Uh, ostensibly. We say carpenter. That may have been like a stonemason in the day. They built with rock more than they built with wood. Um, And he learned a trade. Incredible. And his mom, maybe a a mere teenage, was she famous? Head cheerleader at uh, Nazareth High School? I don't think so. Just a, she, now both her and her dad, both her and his stepdad were born in the Davidic line. Their great, great, many great grandfather was King David himself. And then David had Solomon. Solomon had a son named Rehoboam. And you know all those names in there, like Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah, Josiah, you know all of them. That's Joseph's line. That had been cursed. God put a curse on that line. A man named Jeconiah was so wicked, God said, nobody born after you will prosper forever. That's the line that Jesus Christ was born in. And if he was born naturally, he would have inherited that curse. But he he was adopted. Therefore, it's a blood curse. And he escaped. But his mom also came from the Davidic line. Not through Solomon, another son named Nathan. No doubt, David named him after the prophet Nathan, his friend. And then, you know, you can follow, trace all the way, that all the way down through. So both his parents are very famous lineage that but nobody was there was a king named Herod who wasn't even Jewish at all 
And Jesus wasn't born to that line, that line of privilege. He was born to that ancient line of nobility that was under the curse, and now it just ceased to function as king. And he, grew, he was born in a place called Bethlehem. And the only reason you've ever heard of Bethlehem is because Jesus Christ was born there. He grew up in a place called Nazareth. Um, branch town. That's what it means, Nazare. It's, 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 that's where it says he shall be called a Nazarene. That's what it means. He was a branch from branch town. You never heard Nazareth either, except, um, well, that Ozzy Osbourne led a group from, called Nazareth or into that world, or, or you heard it because that's where Jesus was born up. It's an obscure town. He uh, made himself of no reputation, but he took upon himself the form of a servant. Now, servant here, don't understand it like, because you'll have a, a thing, I think it says in the NIV in the New American Standard, he took upon himself the form of a bond servant. And we talk about that like it's an indentured servant, like you put yourself you know, in servitude for a certain number of years to learn a trade or because you're in debt. No, no, no. That's not, that's not what it means. Here it means slave. He took upon himself the form of a slave. What does that look like? It means he was servant to everybody. And again, I quote Mark where it says, he didn't come to serve, uh, to, be, to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus Christ poured out his life in service to everybody else. That's pretty humble. Think about that, our servant king, our servant God. Is God service? Yeah, continually. Why? Well, that's the big question. That's the part I haven't figured out yet. Uh, some will say, because he loves us. But that r- raises in me another why question. Why does he love us? And the rabbis of old would say, he loves us because he loves us. Okay. <laughs> because it's his essence, the love. But I'm not very lovable. And he should know better. He who has the hairs of my head all numbered should know that I'm not very lovable. And despite the fact that I'm not, he loves us incredible to me, and serves us, and lives to serve us. He's at the right hand of God, constantly making intercession for us. He took upon himself the form of a, a slave, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of his cross. He... I want you to understand this. Let's explore this a little bit. This is kind of the, the, the essence of my message here this morning. What does it mean when God became a man? Well, it means he became a servant. It means he set aside the... He didn't set aside his deity. He couldn't divest himself of his divinity. He couldn't become non-God. Not ever, not even for a moment. He added to his deity humanity. But he set aside, and I said this before, the prerogatives of his deity. And I thought I'd drill down a little bit this week and determine what that means. Because I'm walking on thin ice here. Anytime you talk about the divinity of Jesus Christ and him setting aside the prerogatives, this is kind of like a lot of places where theologians fear to tread because you, you can get in a lot of trouble. But I, I kind of think I'm on, because I, I, I took some scriptural verses and extrapolated, okay, these are verses that say exactly this. He laid aside his glory. He prays in John chapter 17, I think it's either verse 4 or 5. He says to the Father, give me the glory that I had with you before the foundation of the earth. He's praying that that would be restored. To me, that I, in my thinking, that means he set it aside. What do you mean? When Jesus Christ walked around, he didn't radiate, he didn't have like an illuminated head like Renaissance art depicts, which is 
silly at the face of it. I mean, you think about it. Hey, who's the guy with the glow in the dark head? Well, it must be God-made flesh, right? Um, you know, art does that so they, we understand that's Jesus or something like that. But I think it's silly. He had no form of comeliness that we desire him. And, you know, when we see him, we're like, oh, wow, that must be the Messiah. They didn't believe that he was. He said, yep, yeah, it's me, God in the flesh, and they never really accepted that. They, um, they said he committed blasphemy, saying that he was equal to God. You know why they said that? Because he had said on several occasions that he was equal to God. We wouldn't have known him. John said, I didn't know him, except the one who told me to go baptize said, you know, that the one you see the dove descend on, that's, that's him. It's his cousin that he didn't even know. And, when he, and so John has to point out and say, behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the earth. And nobody would have known it otherwise. And even after he declares it, most people don't believe it. He's laid aside his glory. He uh, laid, himself, laid aside his honor, as I've already said. That he had no beauty that man should desire him. Um, he laid aside his riches, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He became poor that we might be made rich. He's saying, what, does God promise health and wealth gospel? Yeah, not in this life. I mean, I mean, what do you want anyway? Food, right? In heaven, you think you go hungry? You know, I think about heaven, I think about food, because that's the way I'm wired, right? Um, so it's just like banquet, the marriage supper of the lamb. Think about it. So does food. Are there calories? Who cares? You've got this eternal perfect body. I think you deal with calories. I, I, I don't know how it works, okay? Are there bathrooms in heaven? I No, I, I do not believe it. You mean you've got to hold it eternally? There's no need for them. There is absolutely... So there's all the benefits of food without any of the, the setbacks. We, we know about food here in America. We have plenty. Any guys missing meals, let us know. We'll, we'll hook you up, okay? We, our problem isn't lack of food. Our problem is too much food, right? Well, we understand. But he, he became, he set aside the prerogative of his deity, riches. In heaven, gold, that's pavement. You think like in heaven you're like the village beggar or something, looking for a handout or something? I have not seen nor ear heard nor entered into the hearts of men the things that God has prepared for those that love him. And I don't know what, I, I'd like to discuss it with you, but I don't know very much at all because my eye hasn't seen it, my ear hasn't heard it, it hasn't even entered into my mind yet. But I know this, you're not going to be eternally hungry, eternally cold, eternally lonely or miserable or... I, cause, you know why I know that? Because I know the nature of God and I know that he knows how to bless me here in my humanity beyond any, my wildest dreams. I know that in eternity he knows how to bless me. So he, he laid aside his riches. He laid aside the independent exercise of his own free will. And he says it several times, especially in the book of John. I do the will of him who sent me. Uh, I don't speak anything of myself. I only speak what he's told me to say. He laid aside the, his, his, the exercise of his own free will. Was he a, a free moral being? Yes, of course. Don't you stand when God says uh, that he's made you into your own image? You make choices, don't you? And you're responsible for those choices. Sorry. 
uh, sorry to be the one that lay it on you, and you judged eternally for the choices. I, I, I choose not to believe Jesus Christ is God. I choose not to uh, uh, take of his salvation that he's freely given. And then there's damnation. Free choice. Why? Because you're creating the image of God. And he has free choice. Now, God, Jesus laid that aside because he's a servant now. He's a, he's a slave. He says, I'm only here to do whatever God tells me to do. Incredible, if you think it all the way through. What does that look like? Well, in verse 8, it looks like the cross. He laid aside the use of his omniscience. He knows everything. Does he know everything in his humanity? He doesn't even know when he's coming back. He says the Father has, has only got that in his own mind. How does God the Son not know that? How, who know, God the Son who knows everything not know that? He laid aside the, his omniscience or the use of it for a time anyway. I bet he knows it now. But at that time, he, there were things that he didn't know. I say, really? Ostensibly. Like I say, he didn't know when he was coming back. He... He laid aside the use of his omnipotence. I don't think he healed people in his own strength, and his own majesty, and his own power. I think he prayed. He was a spirit-filled man who prayed God, prayed the Holy Spirit of God, and he did things in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. That's my thought. Now, see, I, I can tell you how I'm on thin ice. <laughs> so you're a heretic. You didn't believe he was omnipotent. I think he laid aside the prerogatives of his omnipotence when he was, and he prayed. Lord, listen, this isn't my will. Yours be done. He could have called thousands of angels. Why didn't he? He laid that aside. He, he said, no, not for, that's not the will of God. Not, for, not right now. He could have just... Remember when they came to arrest him? Who do you seek? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am. He didn't say, I am he. It says that in, in uh, the book of John. He didn't say that. He said, I am. Yod heh vav heh, and they all fell over backwards. Could he have, twice, <laughs> could he have stopped from being arrested if he wanted to be? Oh yeah, yeah. Could he have escaped from the nefarious clutches at any time? Of course, he's God. He laid it all aside, that, that all-powerfulness. He was, he was not omnipresent on earth. He laid aside his omnipresence. Is God omnipresent? God is everywhere. It was Jesus Christ as a human being, everywhere. I submit to you, when he was up in Galilee, he wasn't in Jerusalem. When he was in Egypt, he was out of the Holy Land altogether. Think about it. He was in one place at one time, like you are, like I am, when he set aside the prerogatives of his deity. Never gave up his deity, never gave up his divinity, just some of the attributes of it for a time. He gave up his, and this is the thing I think is one of the most important, he gave up his uninterrupted fellowship with God he became sin for us that we might be. He, he became sin. He, him, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. He was with God the Father forever. I think in the garden, and I say again, freaked him out. This is what I think, he, he, where he said, "Lord, not my will, but Yours be done." He didn't want to not be with the Father, not even for a moment. You remember when he said, "My God." My God. And by the way, it's the only time you ever call God anything but Father. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why did he say that? So that you and I would understand that God had forsaken him. How would God do? Why would God do that? Because he became sin for us. And God has purer eyes that can behold sin. 
And so there was a, a breaking of fellowship, at least for a time. Don't ask me anything more than that, okay? You, you can figure it out. I, I don't know. He gave up that uninterrupted fellowship of God. He became man. It means, it means something to us. That's what Christmas is all about, right? He's being, he was being found in the fashion of man. He humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Praise his holy name. We need him to die on the cross for our salvation. So that's the end of the story. Boy, that's sad. Merry Christmas. Go away. Wait, wait, there's more to the story. Wherefore God hath, verse 9, highly exalted him. If you humble yourself, like Jesus humbled himself, well, God highly exalts you. Oh, yeah, Scripture's right for it, all that, that. He resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. If you humble yourself, God will lift you up. That's what Scripture tells us. Jesus humbled himself. Did God lift him up? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Out of the grave, out of the earthly, lifted him up way high. And he's given him a name which is above every name. Oh, by the way, will Jesus give you, will God give you a name above every name? No. <laughs> That's reserved for one and one only, Jesus Christ. That's where we separate. But he will exalt you if you humble yourself. But he won't give you a name above every name. He'll give you a name above many names. But he won't give you a name above every name. That is reserved for Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay, only in three places is Jesus Christ Lord. Heaven, earth, and under the earth. Hell, okay? I think people think God, like, is left hell and it's like to the devil and his angels and like Satan rules in hell. <laughs> That's silly. Where'd you get that idea? That's theologically inept. No, Jesus Christ is the God of heaven. All the angels praise his magnificent holy name. Holy, holy, holy. Uh, Lord God Almighty. That's directed at Jesus Christ continually and forever. Everyone in heaven praises Jesus Christ. Everyone on earth will. I won't. You will. You will. You just may not on earth now, but you will because everything under the earth. Do people in hell know that Jesus Christ is Lord? Yes. Do they bend their knee to that? Yes. Are they doing it willingly? I suspect they are not. But they know. Could we talk about like someone who's gone on? Listen, I'm not trying to be harsh. I just want to give you biblical truth. It's not political correct. It's biblically correct. We talk about people who've died who are like unbelievers in this world, like famous atheists and stuff like that. We say, well, they know better now. And it kind of sounds smarmy and sounds trite. Listen, I don't know how to say it unsmarmy and untrite. They know better now. There's no mystery anymore to who creator God is. Do they know Jesus Christ is Lord? Yeah. Do they, does their tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord? Continually, I'll bet. Does their knee bow to the majesty, to the awesomeness of Jesus Christ? I think so. That's what the verse is telling us. Only, only in heaven, only in earth, and only in hell. Where else? <laughs> that's all that people, that's the only place people are. One of those places. God has exalted him. 
You say, okay, good. Wherefore, my beloved, verse 12, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence, not only when I was there, but now much more in my absence. So I'm not even in Philippi. I'm writing this letter, and I want you to obey these things. And I want you to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Adam, you had me, but you lost me. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Yeah, get on with it. Do it. Earn it. Oh, don't be ridiculous. Anyone says that, just stop. You're ridiculous. Scripture tells us over and over and over and over. Salvation is a free gift that you accept or you reject. You can't earn it. And this verse isn't calling us to earn our salvation. It means do it. Get on with it. Live it. Well, what is, what? What, what, what do you mean? Live it. Do it. Get on with it. Well, how do I do that? Oh, weren't you paying attention? Verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now we've gone full circle. This is the meaning of Christmas. Jesus became a man to show us, among other things, to, to save us, no doubt, but to show us what life lived well looks like. We have to humble ourselves. We have to be give our will off to another person, someone who's greater than us. It's not all about us. It's not all about us making choices, us making decisions. God, what would you have me do in this situation? In other words, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What does 2021 hold? I wish I was a prophet. I wish I could tell you. My, my saying is brace for impact. What does that mean? It means there might be some scary times ahead, but I don't care. I mean, I really, really don't. I was thinking of this this morning. This, this, it's a, it's an old hymn. It's one of my favorites. Isaac Watts, good theologian. See, sometimes a, you get a theologian who's also a songwriter, and it comes out for the the best in in both worlds. You know what I mean? He writes, "Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb?" And shall I fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the, to win the prize and sail through bloody seas? Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend to grace to help me on to God? Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain, supported by thy word. Thy saints in all this glorious war shall conquer, though they die. They see the triumph from afar by faith's discerning eye. When that illustrious day shall rise and all thy armies shine in robes of victory through the skies, the glory shall be thine. Amen. Look, uh, what does it mean, work out your salvation, fear and trembling? We enlist in the army of God. We do things God's way. We give him our lives. We have no agenda but to do his agenda. We take the free gift of salvation that he's offered you can't work out your salvation with fear and trembling if you don't have any salvation. And then once owning that, that free gift that he's given us, get on with it. What does that look like? It looks like humility. The way forward is on your knees praying to God for direction, for strength, for wisdom. I don't know what they're going to throw at us. We get uh, COVID-20 in store. I, I, I don't know. 
another year of lockdowns? I, I don't know. Is there going to be a president who's going to be inaugurated who'll give the sovereignty of the United States away? I don't know what's coming. Does it matter? Well, whatever you throw at me. Oh, it does matter. I mean, I have a vested interest in this country. I'm a patriot. I've pledged, I raised my right hand to God, and I swore to defend this country from all enemies, foreign and domestic. If you were in the service, you took the same oath. If you haven't, take it anyway. That aside, what is the future? I don't know. What am I going to be found doing? I'm going to be humbly being faithful to God. I don't want to mess this up. I got one shot at it. You with me? Because this is, this is the whole thing. Jesus became a man and he died for us and showed us what humanity is supposed to look like. Easy peasy. Follow after it. How do you do that? Oh, prayerfully, humbly. You work out your salvation. Get on with it in fear and trembling. Will the Holy Spirit be involved? Only always. You think we'll call on you to do the spiritual work and the power of the own, your own flesh? Of course not. I mean, you know, we'll read our Bible. We'll pray. We'll follow the direction of God. We'll flee sin. You know, the things that we know that we're supposed to be doing. So, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. <laughs> Sorry there were no shepherds, but I don't know. I felt like God had a message for us like, Going forward, this is what I want your life to look like. All right, so let's uh, worship. Leo, come. We'll stand. We'll pray. Lord, thank you for this great salvation that we can work out with fear and trembling. Thank you for this, Lord, for your wonderful, your blessed, blessed Son, our Savior who everything about him is adorable in the sense of we adore, we worship, we set it, we exalt, we set on high everything he's done for us, Lord. Who he is and his majesty and his awesomeness. And Lord, we would be like him. Fill us with your spirit. Now may the Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Amen.